0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. It's a special Thanksgiving edition. And uh, joining us, because there's so many rivalry things going on, of course, are the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman, our special guests, Frank Shala, who covers the University of Central Florida for us. He'll be able to talk about those Knights who have surprised everybody right out of the gate this time with their new coach, Frank. uh, it's got Frost and Tim Williams, who handles the Gators for us. And they, of course, have a big game this week against Florida State. Um, it's going to be a wild and crazy and fun weekend of college pro and pro football. And we're going to start talking about it. And what better way to start than the war on I-4? The University of South Florida will be hosting... The UCF Knights, that's going to be noon on Saturday. If you want to watch it on TV, it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. So uh, you may want to start now to find that channel. So um, anyway, the war on I-4, Frank. Uh, what the heck's happened? I mean, Scott Frost has gotten that uh, team off to a heck of a start after you know not winning a game last year.
1: Yeah, definitely is a, uh, a hell of a turnaround so far. Uh, after last week, before last week, they actually had the, the highest turnaround and win percentage, or uh, win total from any team in the country. So there's six wins uh, more. Obviously, it's when you don't win a game, anything looks good the ne- the following year. But they're actually a handful of plays away, to be perfectly honest, from a really special year. You know, they, they blew a couple leads late in the games, and obviously when you have a, a young team, you know, you're you still learning to how to win games. But, yeah, like you said, Frost came in. He he completely overhauled the staff and brought in his guys, and I just think he connected with these guys right away. And any time when you have a former player, especially a guy that had the pedigree of him as a player and also as a coach he just got these guys to buy in right away and and they were uh, able to kind of flip the switch immediately and and now they're they're bowl bound and and they can uh finish the regular season strong this week against their in-state rivals
0: joe you watch a great deal of University of south florida football um What do you think about uh, the, you know, you've always been high on this team, Willie Taggart. Uh, What's this weekend going to look like uh, from your standpoint uh, on South Florida and the Bulls?
2: Well, if you've, uh, South Florida this year is, uh, you got to admit, you're going to get your money's worth when you watch them because you're going, if it's points you want, it is points you will get. And uh, they score a lot, they give up a lot. Um, they, they, Their defense is, uh, to put it kindly, atrocious. Uh, their offense, to put it kindly, is amazing. Uh, they can beat you through the air. They can beat you on the ground. They can beat you with trickery. They beat you with speed and more speed and more speed. And it all starts with quarterback Quentin Flowers. Um, Willie Taggart, the coach. Um, uh, put in a plug uh, last week after uh, he uh, he led the Bulls to victory at SMU, he was uh, he was questioning why Quentin Flowers hasn't even gotten in, um, a mention uh, in in the, for the Heisman or any of the big national awards. And uh, you know, as you said, Jim, I've watched this team a lot. And um, and I've said all along, and I will say again here for the listeners, if the Florida Gators had Quentin Flowers and Marlon Mack and Rodney Adams, the three main offensive players for, for USF, the receiver, the running back, and, of course, the quarterback, Florida would be undefeated and be seriously talked about as a playoff team. Um, so what am I looking for Saturday? I'm looking for another uh, – you know, 40 to 35 game. Uh, I think I would expect USF to win, but it's certainly no uh, no guarantee. Scott Frost has done a very good job at UCF. And um, lastly, I'd leave you with this thought: there was a time back when, and this goes back to when Jim Levitt was the coach at USF, that the Bulls really looked at at UCF as as the, like this annoying little mosquito. That, that they didn't want to help them, they didn't want to lift them up. They certainly didn't want to be seen as uh, this to be seen as a rivalry game. They didn't even want to play them, and that was a, a clear miscalculation on USF's part. Uh, they need these two schools need each other. Uh, this is a great game. Unfortunately, from a, a TV standpoint, it's on opposite Ohio State and Michigan, and uh, so there'll probably be like you know, grandmothers and girlfriends will be the only ones to watch the game. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad UCF is, has, is kind of back among the living and the competitive teams because when both these teams are good, um, that's good for uh, not only the war on I-4, but football in the state of Florida.
0: One of the things... Joe, that you bring up, I'm, I'm throwing this out to the panel and let everybody re- respond to it. You know, when we spoke to Mike uh, Oresco, the commissioner of the, uh, of the conference, of the American Athletic Conference, Mike was quick to point out that the success of the USF and, and Central Florida rivalry is key to the actual success of the league. And uh, it goes to your point. I, I think that the more competitive and the, and the better this rivalry gets, the better it's going to help these chances of both these schools to become uh, players for a potential national championship five or six or eight years down the road.
3: No question that uh, the uh, with UCF on the upswing, guys. There's no reason to think. That uh, either of these teams are, are going to be taking a uh, a nosedive in the next few years. Uh, Jim, the first thing that needs to be said about Saturday's matchup: uh, we don't need the Bulls and Knights roughing up my field over there at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, that's number one. Uh, okay. We got the big bad Bucks coming in the next day against the Seahawks. I want that field in pristine condition, Frank. Uh, so so <laughs> tell your Knights to uh to play nice. Uh look, uh if if USF wins as expected, gentlemen, that, that's not gonna take away anything in my mind from the job that Frost has done in Central Florida. Uh he's done a remarkable job when you consider where they were coming from. But uh, you know, as as remarkable as the improvement's been, Joe, let's be honest, they they have not faced an attack like this. It's it's a wonderfully balanced attack. Uh the Bulls average forty three points. Jim, forty-three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they're I believe they're sixth nationally in yards, uh, three, almost three hundred yards on the ground. So you know, Frank, they're not going to win this game twenty to seventeen. UCF. Uh, they'll have to score in the thirties, forties, uh, maybe even uh, approach the fifty-point mark to win the game. Uh, but no matter what happens, UCF's had a heck of a year. Um, USF is uh, on its way to a a major spot in in, in people's conversations uh, by next season if they can uh, fix this defense, leaky defense, as Joe points out. Uh, It's a good matchup, but um, I think it'd be a real shocker if UCF won this game, guys.
1: Yeah, a couple quick points I'll make. Uh, First off, I wanted to just say I, I agree with the, completely agree with this game needing to really help boost the conference even more. Uh, it is a natural rivalry. Obviously these two teams, you know, in my opinion, should obviously have always played even when they were, you know, uh, USF was in that Big East and like, like I was saying, they were kind of looking at UCF as as the ugly stepchild and, you know, they didn't really want anything to do with them. And, you know, they've only played seven times, Um and there's really only been a couple handful, uh, a couple of those games that have really come down to the wire. You know, a couple of them were, were blowout games and, you know, that even though they play, you know, you never get the rivalry feel until you have those classics that come down to the wire. So I, I certainly think that this, you know, now that both teams kind of got snubbed out of the big 12 discussions that, you know, this does help out the the conference and, You know, obviously everybody loves when you have classic rivalries. So um, I certainly think obviously now when they're both in the same conference and going forward the short term, it's going to, you know, it's going to be nice for them to consistently play. And consistently when they're good, it looks looks even better. So, um, and yeah, as far as facing a high-powered offense, UCF is going to be in for a test again this week. You know, the defense has played tremendous. Everybody was – all the praise was about UCF's offense coming into the year. Everybody was offense, offense, offense. That's Scott Ross' MO, uh, understandably. But it's been the defense that's carried the team this year, and that's that's not, there's no question about that. And they uh, they kind of got a little exposed this past week against Tulsa, which um, has another high-powered offense of their own. And for not 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 other than the offense was just couldn't stay on the field uh UCF's offense couldn't stay on the field and and then uh it doesn't matter who you are uh you're not going to be uh a successful defense if you're on the field you know 60 70% of the game. So uh for UCF to stay in in this game and even keep it close in my opinion, yeah, you're right. They are going to have to score 30 40 points and they're going to be have to um get the running game going, which you know USF has Had a couple games this year where they've been exposed in the running game. Um, So, yeah, they're going to have to get the stable of backs going, try to get the ball control going again, and um, hope that they can uh, catch a couple turnovers. And you know how the the game works after that. So uh, I will be interested to see, but I I certainly um, see a South Florida as, you know, definitely being the, the favorite this week.
0: One other quick stat guys which I think is a stunning stat to me. Um, the USF offense their drives average 5.1 plays. It,
2: it it's it's absurd how quickly they score and I would also advise people that if you, if you're going to watch that game don't yeah, particularly at the start, don't figure, oh, well, I'll wander in a couple of minutes uh, into the game and, uh, you know, they'll still be warming up or just getting uh, getting moving. USF uh, strikes quickly. The The first quarter, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but they, they put up quick and plentiful touchdowns early. They get teams in a hole and uh, like they got navy uh down 28 to nothing uh very early uh in the game when they played them a few uh weeks ago and that makes it you know uh, a pretty steep hole for teams to to uh, to crawl out of they hit you with big plays uh and they hit you repeatedly you cannot ever relax or be out of position against them or they're going to go a long way uh in in a hurry and um uh, so yeah they uh, I would I would say uh, tune in early and uh and don't blink
0: good points all right let's move to the game in Tallahassee this year where the University of Florida Gators take on the FSU Seminoles and uh you know it's been kind of a rocky road for the Seminoles this year and then of course the Gators have um Shown tremendous ability on defense, but Tim, on the offensive side, it's been a little rough.
4: Yeah, it, it's really been an adventure on offense for the Florida Gators. They've been doing well the last couple of weeks with Austin Appleby as their quarterback. Of course, Luke Del Rio started the season, but he's out with an, he's been out with an injury. He It's the second one he's sustained this season. I'm not sure if he's ever really been healthy, and he kind of struggled taking snaps. Appleby's been a little better, but they still struggle on offense. Offense isn't really what you come to see when you're watching the Florida Gators, although they do have a pretty balanced running attack, as they showed in the second half last week. Jordan Scarlett can really get some yards, and LaMichael Perrine, who's very young, could he could end up being something for years for the Gators. He's He's got some real talent, but other than that, on offense, yeah, they really struggle.
2: Well, you know... Uh that that game that they where they went out last week and beat LSU um we all know the circumstances around that game big controversy in in the scheduling and all of that and uh, really kind of maybe uh, lit a fuse on a the it was already a good rivalry now it's uh, it's kind of over the top but wouldn't you say that the goal line stand that Florida put up there at the end to win that game will will arguably go down as as one of a handful of great moments uh in Gator history. I mean, you know, they still talk about the field goal that Steve Spurrier kicked back in what 1966 whenever it was to right, beat uh, Auburn. And right. And um I think they're going to talk about this goal line stand for uh for just about as long cuz that that was uh that was clutch. That was amazing, and it put them in the uh, title game in the SEC against Alabama, where they will get mowed. But at least they made it.
3: Yeah, that's now, now that's... Jim. If, if if they lose their next two games, which they are expected to do, uh, Henderson's uh, way off base. That that goal line stand will be forgotten in about a week.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, now, you don't really, you don't really understand Gator football, do you, Ira? No, no, not They will never forget that. They okay,
3: will never me, forget let put, that. Let me put this out to Tim Williams here. Now he follows the Gators very closely, and Tim, I find it a little bit ironic that uh, the two losses this season, uh, while the offense has struggled for much of the year, uh, the two losses I'm putting primarily on uh, uh, defensive breakdowns. Uh, uh certainly against Tennessee uh and in large degree uh against Arkansas both on the road and uh and Joe now now they go at FSU um Dalvin Cook's uh last game Joe at home Yeah, um, probably you know he wants to go out with with a flurry uh Tim's right Applebee's been slightly slightly better uh than Del Rio no no marked difference i happened to run into the old ball coach guys last week Steve Spurrier, he was in Tampa for a banquet. And I kind of said to him, you know, what's with this offense? You know, you were known for offense in Gainesville. Where's the quarterback? He kind of shrugged his shoulder. You know, Spurrier, he's back working in Gainesville now. He's got an office uh, at the UF uh, Athletic Department. He's bored stiff, by the way. Uh, That's no surprise. Uh, (laughs) He's not a desk person. And he just shrugged his shoulder and said, "I I don't understand why they can't get a quarterback uh perhaps Tim can shed a little light on that uh is there, is there anybody coming down the pike Tim uh in Gainesville or under center
4: well it, it it seems unlikely right now there's it I think right now unless there's some freshman coming up that I don't know about who's recruited out of high school and he can start right away the starting quarterbacks next year are probably going to be Luke Del Rio and and it's, it's really hard to say if Del Rio struggles this year so much because maybe he isn't the guy for the job or if it's because he had injuries to his shoulder. He's really never been fully healthy throughout the season, although he was pretty healthy in that game against UMass and they didn't move the ball, and that's not exactly the kind of school you want to say you didn't move the ball well against. Um, to Joe's point, I think he's absolutely right. When the Gators lose, it's almost... Directly on their defense, Tennessee took the game to them in the second half, and Arkansas took it to them the entire game. What I'd say is they're really uh, that was
3: my point, Tim. Don't don't give Henderson any. Oh, I I apologize. (laughs)
4: That that was definitely. I I do apologize for that. (laughs) Um, you know the defense has broken down. (laughs) When the team takes the game to them, but you have to run the ball on the Gators to really, to open it up. Once you start moving the ball on the ground, everything else opens up. Their secondary is as good as any in the country right now. If you throw the ball on the Gators, they will beat you. But if you can open it up with the run, then you can really do something against this third-ranked defense in the country.
1: Tim, hey, not to interrupt you, but uh, are are the are the Gators kind of off of Felipe Franks going forward now after uh, after hearing some of your comments? Because it seemed like he was the kind of the, the highly touted guy that they brought in this year that they were just didn't really want to waste the red shirt on though. It,
4: he might he might be in the mix moving forward. I honestly don't have a lot of inside information about uh, something like that. I just I they certainly aren't doing a lot in games to develop him but i think that given the way the offense has performed he the opportunity is definitely there for him to take a starting role moving forward as well he'll have to win it in the offseason i think but he should you know i had completely forgotten that name for a little bit he should be the favorite to start next year if not del rio but there will be a competition and again i'd like to see what del rio can do when he's fully healthy
2: well, here's the thing about all of that too is, you know, recruits out there know what the situation is, and they know that they look at Florida's quarterback situation, and they're going like, you know what, I can I can step in there and play, and Jim McElwain is has the reputation of being a, a good quarterback coach uh, and an offensive mind, so um, I I'm not sure that we. Even uh, could would want to hazard a guess right now at who's going to be the starter or quarterback next year for Florida. The biggest question that they've got right now is that they have uh, two huge football games ahead of them, and I would not have given them a plug nickels chance at beating LSU um, in in Baton Rouge, but they but they did, and you know LSU fought. Mighty Alabama to a standstill in in that same uh, in that same stadium just uh, a week or so before, so I think Florida's got to be feeling pretty good about itself at this point. But uh, as you correctly pointed out, you know they do have trouble with the running game, and FSU's got a pretty good one. So uh, we'll see if uh, how they handle that. But um, just making it back to the SEC championship game for Florida, I think, is it's a massive deal because we had them dead and buried
0: after they lost to tennessee you know joe, you know joe the, yeah the, there's a great um great point you made uh one of the places that i don't know about you but personally i always had a love-hate relationship with was baton rouge louisiana and and tiger stadium <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> Oh, man. The difference between playing there in the day and the night is actually night and day. Um, It's amazing. It's a a frenzied crowd. It is not fun to do. And the point about uh, the goal line stand, to do it against a team with as much talent as LSU is one thing. But to do it against a team that's as talented as LSU at LSU is – is uh, that is the legendary point to to what you're talking about? I think.
2: Well, yeah. When when LSU fans have a full day Brody. to <laughs> right. prepare, uh, the uh, the atmosphere in Tiger Stadium is like is like none anywhere, and that includes the swamp. Uh, so Florida did catch a break uh, there with the noon start uh last week. But you still gotta go out and do the job and, and it's still no stroll in the park playing the playing there at noon. So uh I think it's one of the great wins in Florida history. I really do.
3: You know, uh Jim uh Henderson Henderson pointed out uh, you know why isn't Flower's name ever mentioned in the in the Heisman conversation. Uh I think a lot of it has to do with uh, what I think is an absolutely ridiculous trend which is, you know, every year now in in, in in May and June when nothing's going on, people put a list of uh you know, you know, Heisman favorites. And and they kinda try to stick to it. Um and of course Flowers, you know, Flowers is, is, is the ninety eight second I mentioned. Uh but in that regard, guys, uh I think Fournette might have been the favorite going into this season. Um been injured most of the time, been a very forgettable season. Leonard Fournette, I think he had maybe a a couple of memorable games this year. Um, I wonder where he's going to go in the draft. I, I think um,
2: scouts are divided on him at this point. Well, the injuries uh, that he's had certainly won't help him. He's going to have to show he's healthy. And um, yeah, I think you're right, Ira. I think people are divided on him. And uh, the you know, in, in reference to uh, to flowers. Um, and it, it's almost a given that Marlon Mack, the USF running back, will will uh, will go in for the draft after this year. But uh, nobody knows for sure about Mar uh, about Quentin Flowers. And um, I know uh, I know what Willie Taggart's probably hoping for. <laughs> Please come back one more year. But uh, well, I don't know. How do you see him in the NFL, Ira? Um, not a quarterback, but. That that's that's a great question. Maybe he could be one of those H backs.
3: Um you know, but those guys normally guys they, they don't pan out. Uh you know, they, they don't make a big impact uh in, in the NFL. If I'm flowers, i am staying a, another year, guys. Uh I don't think he's first round material if he comes out for the twenty seventeen draft. Um besides the fact that as Joe points out, uh if they can get a couple of defensive players or the ones they have on the roster uh improve significantly, um, they're gonna be very dangerous n- next season. So look, uh it's tough to turn down NFL money, but um if I'm Marlon Mack I'm coming out. If I'm
0: Flowers I'm I'm not. Hey, I rep, with Flowers, why wouldn't he be a slot receiver? Uh well, we
3: don't we don't know enough about his hands, Jim. Uh I, I think he's got enough talent to do almost anything he wants. I mean who knows, they could switch him to the defensive side of the ball uh, at safety. Uh, yeah. But, uh, as Joe said, as a quarterback, he's probably going to fall short uh, in terms of accuracy. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
3: But he does throw a nice long ball, Joe, certainly proven that.
2: I'll tell you what, if I'm the Buccaneers, Ira, do you know who I'm looking at on the USF team? Marlon Willie Mack. Taggart. Willie Taggart. <laughs> Rodney <laughs> Adams. Rodney Adams. <laughs> Rodney Adams. The wide receiver, uh, it, it. how many times this year have we seen him actually pull away from a defensive back? I mean, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got good hands. Uh, the Bucs could use all three of those uh, elements in their uh, in their receiving core. I'm looking at him. I don't know. I, I don't pretend to be Mel Kiper or something like that, uh, so I, I couldn't tell you where he's going to go. But I... Uh, you, you've heard me say it before, and I will say it again. Uh, you don't draft on potential. You draft on production. I learned that from Rich I, McKay. Uh, and boy, is that yeah. guy produced. Jim, I don't, I don't think Jameis Winston would have any problem with that draft pick. Zero. No,
0: I, I think he'd be. He'd pick him up at the airport. I, I don't think he'd <laughs> any problem with that. By the way, guys, um, uh, with Florida, uh, in the pipeline, so to speak uh, – they got Jake Allen who's a five star recruit out of fort Lauderdale's St Thomas Aquinas high School he's six four two hundred ten pounds and he's coming into the fold uh he is the the guy who um who McIlwain personally went down and spent some time with and and got him in the fold so we uh you know they don't know what goes on, but St Thomas Aquinas is always put some pretty decent uh, kids in the system. So we'll see how that plays out. But if you're looking for him, ladies and gentlemen, next year, it's Jake Allen, Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas, Aquinas, and he will be in on your Florida Gator football team somewhere.
4: I would like to make another point about the Florida offense as well while we're okay. on the subject. You know, we just talked about a wide receiver and how the Bucks could use – A player like that, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. But I look at Florida's offense and I see the same problem. They don't really have an explosive playmaker outside of maybe Jordan Scarlett, who, you know, last week really put the game on ice and helped them win against LSU in a big way. Obviously, the goal line stand is what won them the game, but that's where they got their plays on offense, were from Scarlett. If they were to have a playmaking receiver, and coming into the season people expected it to be Antonio Callaway, it hasn't been Antonio Callaway, if they could get someone to really break a play or two for them, that would really change the game for the Florida Gators. That's something they need badly, and it's something that it's really missing from their offense this season. You'll see it against Florida State.
3: Tim, how much of that has been the uneven play uh, under center uh, in terms of uh, production at receiver?
4: I'm sure part of it is the uneven play at, at under center and the fact that there have been two guys under center. They're never entirely sure who's going to start when, when Del Rio was hurt the first time, it was never really clear how long he was out. So every week people kept waiting for him to come back, which is a tough position for an entire offense to be in. They don't really know how to prepare either. So that, that certainly has taken its toll, but then You know, Callaway makes a lot of plays on special teams and on special teams so far, the most notable thing I'll say about him is he's fielded three fair catches inside the five yard line. And I have no idea why anyone would ever do that. Oh, by the way, he muffed one and it was a turnover. So they need, they really do need a playmaker. And like I said, if you're looking for who it could be on Saturday, I would expect it would be from the running game. I would expect it would be Jordan Scarlett or maybe LaMichael Perrine. You know, you, you raise a great point about the lack
2: of playmakers uh, on the Gators. And uh, and this goes to something we, we've talked about before, but I think it bears repeating, is that uh, in a lot of ways, um, the Will Must Champ era at Florida, or you could call it the error at Florida, um, altered the program's identity, their DNA, if you will. Um, and they, with his emphasis on on defense and a you know, totally different style than what Florida had had become and won and national championships with with the fast break offense and, of, you know, Spurrier and Urban Meyer and so on. And that's when, – when you go in and you say, okay, um, we know that that you're used to game breakers and, and you know, uh, putting the pressure on opposing defenses and all that, uh, but here's how we're going to play now is we're going to play tough physical defense, we're going to run the ball, we're going to do this, whatever. Um, Florida, that's the wrong program in the wrong state to do that. Uh, You need to be putting up video game numbers at the University of Florida, kind of like what USF is doing. Uh, USF hasn't scored fewer than 30 points in any one game this year. That's amazing. And the talent that Florida should be able to get in this state, the University of Florida, uh, it is... Uh, there's just really no excuse for for what happened there. It's going to take McElwain a little while to fix all this. You don't just come in and snap your fingers and say, "Okay, now we're you know, we got Luke Del Rio and we're and we're set." Uh, I don't think anybody really believes, uh, with all due respect to the young man, that that he is going to be the the quarterback to lead the Gators back to where they were. So. Give uh, give McElwain a year and another year or two, and I think you'll see Florida uh, back to more uh, the Gators that uh, we all came came to know during uh, the Spurrier and Urban Meyer eras.
0: Hey, uh, Joe and Ira, quick question: um, We all have a relationship with good old Steve Spurrier, the ball coach. Do you think, in any way, shape, or form, he will help McElwain in in uh, recruiting quarterbacks and offensive players.
3: If, Jim, if McElwain's as smart as uh, we all think he is, mm-hmm. uh, he would embrace that notion wholeheartedly. Uh, otherwise, he's a fool. Um, <laughs> you know, guys, well, let, let's let's be honest. Uh, Spurrier's name has a tremendous amount of cachet. Still does. Sure. Always will. Always yeah. will. And and he could be the deciding factor in mm-hmm. ordering a guy. And then, you know, Joe makes a great point. Um, with all the talent in the state of Florida on a prep level, uh, you know, why they can't land, a, a you know, an elite quarterback prospect. Now, Jim, you mentioned that they have one common down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they need more, more competition.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: the fact, you know, if they can get Spurry on a recruiting trip, Joe, that, uh, that don't hurt with the man walking through a, a recruit's door does not hurt.
2: Well, no. And, and would, would McIlwain welcome Steve Spurrier's help? Well, duh. You think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the man's got a statue there at the university. I'm just saying they play on Steve Spurrier field. Uh, yeah, I think, he, I think yeah, sure coach want to help. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you no, know, and, and uh,
3: and, and, and that- Tim Spurrier needs something to do. He's he's bored silly in in that office. You know he's driving uh, he's driving everybody else in the department crazy. He's in the SID's office uh, every five minutes. Uh, he's not a desk person, uh, uh, Jim. And uh,
0: get him out on the road. He'll, he'll enjoy it. I thought that's why Jeremy left.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> because he didn't want him in pastor. his office. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
4: Maybe they need to create like a fake golf tour so they can keep telling them, Steve, you have to come out and play golf this week. You have to play again tomorrow. I
0: don't know if you guys have seen his Dr. Pepper commercial, but I think it's hilarious. Yes, I have. It's funny. So anyway, uh, how about we take a shot, guys, um, at at running through the roster here of the college games and, um, have a little fun picking and see who wins what. Um, Thursday, we have uh, on ESPN LSU at Texas A and M. Now, there's a great rivalry game. If I've heard it, uh, I don't. They, I don't know if these guys have ever you know, outside the SEC. I don't know if they've ever played each other.
2: Well, that that's a battle uh, could be for uh, coaches' jobs on mm-hmm. that one because uh, you know. The LSU losing last week certainly didn't help Ed Ogeron, uh trying to, to keep the job there. And now you're starting to hear that uh, Texas A&M may be uh, down a little bit on Kevin Sumlin. So, um, but you want a prediction, I'll take A&M in that one.
0: Anybody else want to take a play on it? I'm going with A&M too, Jim.
3: Uh, I don't think LSU's got the mental fortitude to bounce back from a second uh, killer loss. I mean, they, they laid it on the line against Alabama, played very well, played better than people thought they would. Um, they carried it over to the Gator game and lost in brutal fashion. Uh, I just think uh, that, uh, it, you know, it took a psychic blow uh, out of uh, the Tigers, and I, I don't think they're going to recover, Jim. I, I like A&M.
0: Frank, Tim, you want to get into on this one?
4: I Yeah, I, I can't I, really – are... Sorry, Go Frank. Go ahead, Joe. I I can't really add to anything, but I would take A and M. I I think I agree with both Joe and Ira on this.
1: Frank? Yeah, A and and M for me too. Just for the bounce back, I don't I don't think LSU's got the mental toughness this week.
0: You know, as hard as it is to play at Death Valley, which we chronicled a while back, it's equally hard to play College Station. And uh I would absolutely take Texas and m at that game. Here's one that AAC fans have got to look at and love. And, and you know, I would like the over on this game. Uh, Houston at Memphis.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Memphis is not bad. Um, mm-hmm. Not bad at all. And Houston obviously uh, regained a little swagger uh, after uh, where they swamped Louisville. Um for the over, I will take fifty-five, and I'll take the over with Houston winning.
0: Fifty-five? No. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was thinking more of a hundred. <laughs> nah,
2: no, no, fifty-five. Nah. I meant sixty-five. I'm sorry, sixty-five. Okay, sixty-five.
0: 65. Houston
3: is a, Jim, Houston's a funky team. I mean, yeah, they you are. I don't know what we don't know what the heck you're gonna get now. Let's uh, let's remember. Um, and swamping Louisville, uh, as Joe aptly pointed out, uh, the Cougars played a lot, a lot of good defense that day, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so may- maybe that's a, 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 a de- uh, that's a unit that's emerging. Everybody always focuses on Houston's offense, but um, guys, if you can shut down the Cardinal, uh, you can do a job on anybody. Joe's right. Memphis, pretty decent team. Um, I think that I think that win gives Houston's defense a a lot of confidence, so slow down on that over 55 there, uh, young man, or 65.
0: Okay. Um, Quick sidebar for all four of you. Does Houston's Tom Herman uh, leave?
1: Yes.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, there's really no such thing as a mid-major program coach anymore. He's gone.
0: Anybody else? Yeah, I just think
1: the money and resources that a school like Texas will throw at Herman immediately um, is going to be just too much to, for him to turn down.
3: What is uh, wh- what is going on with this Charlie Strong
1: situation,
3: gentlemen? Uh, everybody's got him gone except for Charlie Strong. Uh, is there any question that this is a fait accompli, uh, guys?
2: Ira, the University of Texas just lost to Kansas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just what?
2: lost to kansas
0: you know when you- joe joe guys i'll <laughs> tell you what real quick frank said earlier that you know ucf is bowl eligible okay yeah. and and that is a an accomplishment and something that uh you know scott frost should be proud of bowl eligible at texas gets you fired and yeah. um I I do believe that as well as Charlie Strong has done, uh, I think they're gonna fire him. And here's what's gonna happen. Herman's gonna come in and take all of Charlie Strong's people <laughs> and become wildly successful in the Big Twelve Conference based on all the people that uh, you know, that Charlie was able to recruit and bring to um to Austin, so we'll see. But I agree. I think he's probably out the door. Uh, the next game up on the list, I'm going to spare you. North Carolina State North Carolina. I-, I wouldn't watch that. I'd watch the Grinch Stole Christmas before I'd watch North <laughs> Carolina State play North Carolina. So that's that's a waste of time. Arkansas, Missouri, uh, pretty much the same thing. Um, here's one that's interesting, and it's interesting for AAC people. Boise State's ten and one. And they are playing at the Air Force Academy down in Col- in um, in Colorado Springs. That could be interesting. Well, uh, yeah, Boise State better um, watch
3: out. They they better watch out, Joe. They they could get get ambushed.
2: Well, they absolutely could. Um, the uh, you know that's another one where you know this Boise State if they win. If they win this game,
4: mm-hmm.
2: okay, do, do they become one of those? Uh, do, do they get the big the big uh, bowl for the
0: uh, everybody? For the non-power fives. Yeah. Every place I've seen, the answer to that question is yes. Well,
2: let's not let's not let let us not um, anoint Boise State just yet. They're they a one team. They're a good team, but they also lost to wyoming mhm Wyoming Understood. okay Wyoming. Okay. You can
0: say it. Joe, Yo, you can say it 10 times. We still realize, yes, it's why it was Wyoming. Um, okay, well, yeah. I was waiting for a reaction, Jane. All right, yes. Wyoming, <laughs> not good loss. We get that. Um, okay. Bad and loss. Bad, bad, reacted- bad loss. The last time I
2: reacted this way was when Ira was trying to anoint the Miami Hurricanes as national champion, and I pointed out who they had played. <laughs> So,
0: Let's just say yeah. Wyoming hasn't been a factor since Brian, since um, since Brent Musburger left there as a high school kid.
2: <laughs> Although it is, a, it, it it is, it's in a beautiful part of the country. I would oh, say absolutely,
0: that. you should visit often. We should all visit. I have, I have there visited. So Boise State ten and one, Air Force eight and three. We'll see how that plays out. Um, Nebraska, Iowa, eh? Who cares? Um, TCU at Texas—that's a—that's the coaching job situation that we talked about earlier. No, it's earlier. not because Char- Charlie's fired. It doesn't I'm matter. I'm talking about TCU. Oh well, yeah, okay. That could—that could cost somebody a a job. All right, Good. big one, big one on Friday, and this one is going to be on Fox, and it's Washington and Washington State, and uh, the Apple Cup is, uh, you know. Washington State hopes to play spoiler, so we'll see. Any thoughts from anybody on that game?
4: I, I'd really like to see Washington just take that one and take it running away because it it seems like they've had trouble with rankings and with the playoff rankings. They always seem to be out on the outside looking in. Even when they were undefeated, they started the poll at number five. They not only have to win, they have to win pretty convincingly and make sure that what whatever happens with the with the selection isn't up to them, but they need to take what is up to them and really run away with it and really prove that they belong if they're going to get there. because if this is a close game or if Washington state you know takes it to overtime, suddenly it it's looking bleak for Washington's playoff chances.
3: I think they're gonna look well, back uh, Jim at is... this season. Joe, they're gonna look back at the season and realize that uh they had it in their hands, so to speak. Uh if they would have ran the table they uh they had a good chance to, to uh to uh be in be in the uh mix, the final mix and it didn't happen. Uh they don't have anybody to blame but themselves, Joe. Uh if they went undefeated, uh I don't think there was any way ultimately they they were going to be kept out uh, of, of the semifinals,
2: and and uh, they got nobody to blame, Joe. Well, the, these are two teams that again score a lot of points. They both average over forty points a game. So if nothing else, uh, you know it should be uh, should should be entertaining to watch. Um, but the consensus early on, even when Washington was undefeated was that they really weren't that good. And Southern Cal kind of proved that. So, uh, you know, it'd be, be an entertaining game. I'll watch, but I, I kind of don't, even if they win, I don't really see them still getting
0: in the playoffs. Um, I just don't. Okay, let's go to Saturday. There's a little game being played in at the Horseshoe in uh, beautiful Columbus, Ohio on the banks of the Olentangy and um it's Michigan and Ohio State. Now, I I hasten to to get started on this because I know how mm-hmm. Joe has no opinion at all in this particular game, but um perhaps Joe, you could muster up an opinion on Michigan Ohio State.
2: Um well, I don't know if you guys knew this, but these teams don't like each other. They they um, they have a bit of a rivalry. Um, look, it's it, the one thing that's interesting to me out of out of this. Well, there's many things that's interesting, but the most interesting thing is how Michigan was kind of the darling of everybody all along, and that uh, they were. You know, most people uh, figured that this would be the year that uh, they would break through against the Buckeyes and and move on. Now the Buckeyes are favored, partly because it's in Columbus, but partly because, or mostly I would say, because people have have had a full season to watch these teams and that they just think Ohio State's better. Uh, That doesn't mean Michigan's bad, but uh, Ohio State, just seems to have passed the eye test better. Um, I look for the Buckeyes to win. Uh, I think having a a quarterback like JT Barrett uh, will make the difference. He's been in in these big games before. He knows what to do. And, um, you know, that's another one of those where uh, I'll – I'm going to be – I'm, I'm going to be switching back and forth between plays, between that and the uh, USF and, and Central Florida game. But, uh, no, I, you know, the Buckeyes, uh, there you go, Ira. You talk about Michigan or, uh, w- excuse me, Washington having it in their hands. The Buckeyes have it in their hands. Even if they don't go to the Big Ten championship game, which kind of seems unlikely at this point, they win this game, they're in the playoffs. So, Urban Meyer usually doesn't let those opportunities get away. I don't know
3: anybody, Jim, I don't know anybody that's pick, picking Michigan in this game. I mean, and Joe just mentioned Urban Meyer. He, he's tough to beat in a big game, Jim. Let's be honest. He's mm-hmm. very, very tough to beat in a big game, uh, you know, when when, it, when the stakes are high. I think he's at his best. Uh, but I'll say this. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but through about six weeks, I, I thought Ohio State was right there with Alabama. Uh, as the best team in the country, and gentlemen, they um, they have not been overly impressive, uh, I don't think. Uh, in the last five or six weeks, uh, they've had some letdowns. Now, maybe it was all a build-up for this weekend's game, but nobody's given Michigan any chance here. Um, and, and I think, I think, I think that sure would be a mistake. The- yeah, I agree uh, yeah, I with think, you. I think it might be a mistake,
4: Jim. No, I agree I'll, with you. I'll, give, Go ahead, I'll give Michigan a chance. I'll give Michigan a chance. I I actually like them to win this game. It would be an upset. It would be a tough game. Ohio State's an excellent team. But I look at Michigan and, you know, if I were starting a program right now and you could have anyone to run it who's a current coach in college football, I think I'd choose Jim Harbaugh. I, I know that might not be everyone's choice, but the guy has won everywhere he's been. Michigan's really firing on all cylinders right now. They're going to play. This is about as good as a Michigan-Ohio State game is going to get. And that's saying something because they're often top five teams in the country facing off against each other about as much as any rivalry in college football. So to say that this game is going to be special among them is really saying something, but it really could be. And you know maybe I'm just biased here. I like Harbaugh. And refresh my memory, who's the defensive coordinator at Ohio State again? Mr.
0: That's Ira. Go ahead, Ira.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, please, Greg, Greg it because Shiano. I think
4: you know where I'm going with that.
3: <laughs> who was run? Who was run out of Tampa
1: on a rail, Jim? On a rail.
4: Couldn't be fast enough.
1: Um, if I could Ira, just add
4: something.
1: If I could ahead. just add something quick. Please, this, by all means. Just to add on to Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh was hired for this game. You know, he was hired – when Michigan fans are watching Ohio State and Urban Meyer lift the the national championship trophy, Harbaugh was brought in for this game. And to to add on to what Tim was saying, people are going to be really surprised, I think, if they're going into this game thinking Michigan has no chance because – these coaches might say one thing week to week about, you know, staying in the moment, but I can promise you, this game has been circled the whole entire year. That's not a me going out on a limb, obviously, but, um, I I really think Michigan's poised for the upset this week, myself too. So, and that'll obviously throw another whole monkey wrench into the whole system.
0: You know, guys, Well, uh, it wouldn't really throw a
2: monkey wrench in because Michigan would just move into the playoffs. But, uh, Ira, uh, I'm going to call you, uh, take you to task for something you said. I'm you used said that. Uh, uh, you said uh last few weeks Ohio State has not been playing that well.
3: I said six, uh, six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah.
2: Uh, three three games ago they beat Nebraska, 62 to three. They followed that up with 62 to three over Maryland. And yes, all right, Michigan State, it was it was a one point game. But Michigan State and Ohio State has really, uh, those two teams, that's one where you really can throw out the records on that. Um, So they've they've gone to Camp Randall and beaten Wisconsin. Um, And, uh, you know, believe me, uh, Michigan is certainly, it would not be a shock to anyone if Michigan won this game, Uh, especially me. I mean, I understand this rivalry. I grew up around it. But uh, I still think that the combination of being in Columbus and and JT Barrett makes the difference for Ohio State.
3: Uh, Jim, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Williams, correct me. Did did Henderson just bring up the name Maryland as a validation of Ohio State's power? Did he just do that?
2: 62-3, and they pulled the uh, starters early in the third quarter.
3: That could, have, we're ta- that, that could have been a hundred.
2: Yeah. Move on, yeah. Jim. Jim, we're yeah. we talking about the terrapins, Jim. The terrapins. Yeah. They haven't
0: been relevant since Boomer Esiason was a quarterback. So uh... the week
2: the week before they beat Nebraska, sixty-two to three. Nebraska is nine and two. Move on. I'll give you.
3: I'll give you Nebraska. I'm not giving you Maryland, Anderson. Okay. Uh, by the
0: way, as someone who had the pleasure of doing the last game that uh Bo and woody coached against each other i can honestly tell you that is that both harbaugh and and um and urban meyer as are as charming as both Bo and <laughs> and woody are um it's um it would be you know when people say it's a throwback to the to those kind of guys I can honestly tell you from knowing and t- speaking to all four of these guys over my career, Jim couldn't be any more like, um, you know, like Bo Shambeckler. And God knows Urban has got the entire playbook down on Woody Hayes. Um, so, absolutely. He
2: hasn't up a sideline marker yet, though.
0: Well, it's early. I mean, you know, <laughs> that hasn't gotten there. And he also hasn't punched a kid, but they haven't played Clemson. So, um, We'll see Very how cool. that goes. Uh, let's see, boys. Um, real quick, let's see if we can fly through the rest of this. Um, you know, Auburn-Alabama, obviously, is going to be a key game. But the problem for Auburn is this one's at Tuscaloosa.
2: Yeah. I, you know, my sister-in-law uh, will will hate me for this because she is um, – as uh, she bleeds Auburn, uh, I'll just leave it at that. But um, not not feeling it in that one. I think Alabama wins that one uh, handily.
0: Here's a big one for um, everybody having to do. If you're a Big Ten fan, it's Michigan goes to Happy Valley to play Penn State. If Penn State wins that, then they're in the the, um, the Big Ten championship game.
2: You mean Michigan State? Michigan yeah, State. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah.
0: Michigan State. I apologize. You're right.
3: Yeah. I, I can't see the I can't see the Nittany Lions flubbing uh, this one, Joe, at, at this juncture. Too much on line. mind, and they're playing very well. Penn State's playing very well.
0: Yes. Anybody else on the Michigan State Penn State uh, game?
4: Yeah, just a quick question for any everybody: Is there a bigger program in college football than Penn State that doesn't have a rival? Because Penn State, you know, they have a rivalry with Ohio State and with Michigan and with Michigan State, but they don't have a direct rival.
0: Well, that was the reason they brought Michigan, for Michigan, brought uh, Maryland and Rutgers into the into the uh, Big Twelve, I mean, Big Ten, was to have, give Penn State a natural rival. Uh, the rivalry is starting to to take some traction between Maryland, but uh, it's not there yet. I don't think it's ever going to be in Rutgers at Rutgers because James, um, uh, man, Franklin, the head coach of Penn State, Penn State has always. Recruited well in both Maryland and specifically in New Jersey. I mean, hell, they've taken kids out of New Jersey since they tried to draft, uh, not draft, uh, sign Ira when he was growing up in the New York, New Jersey area. So, Anderson, they... we,
3: we, we now have, Joe, we now have two references to Maryland in, in a podcast devoted to talk about the national powers of college football. Incredible.
0: <laughs> Incredible. Well, I apologize <laughs> for. I, for <laughs> I, I apologize for bringing it up. I, I should have let it alone, but you know what are you going to do? You got to say something. Uh, but yeah, Tim, you're right. The, um, Penn State doesn't really have a rival because they quit playing Pitt because that was Paterno, and Paterno didn't want to play anybody he could possibly lose to, uh, and um, and so um, you know at, at this juncture, uh, Penn State is is looking at Maryland as a um, as a rival, and with forty. Thousand former Penn State uh, graduates in the state of Maryland. It's probably a wise choice to look at Maryland as your possible rival, but um, (laughs) it looks like that's going to be the case. Um, Notre Dame and USC, my favorite coach, Brian Kelly, gets to host, uh, I mean, gets to be on the road at USC. Will it be Brian Kelly's last game? I I
2: don't think so. But uh, boy, this this mess with the NCAA doesn't help him, does it? No. Uh, you, you start talking about academic uh, irregularities at a school like Notre Dame. Um, you know, <laughs> that uh, that's one of those things that that university presidents uh, don't like to be embarrassed, mm-hmm. and uh, that's embarrassing, especially for a school like Notre Dame, that prides itself on uh, trying to do it the right way and and academics.
0: Absolutely. Hey, guys, I'll tell you what, we're coming toward the end here. So let me fly through and get last thoughts from everybody here, what you're going to be doing over the Thanksgiving holiday. And, um, you know, we'll uh, give your social media on the end. I'll tell you what, Frank, give us your social media and talk about what you're going to be watching. Give us a little – Capsule on UCF And F- and uh, USF
1: Yeah sure Jim uh, You can follow me at Frank P. Shala S-H-A-L-A And my capsule will just be UCF is just going to have to Put some points on the board The last month they've really been struggling offensively They haven't been able to Sustain any drives Put a lot of pressure on the defense Which has performed well the last uh, month of the, of the season, but they're going to have to score some points this week if they even want to stay close in this game. So a lot's going to be put on the freshmen this week, but if they can run the ball 40, 50 times collectively as a team, um, they're going to be in, in pretty good shape, but um, it's going to be all about the uh, the UCF offense this week and needing to try to, to match the high-powered bulls.
0: Real quick, Frank. Um, who should we watch on uh, UCF on the team, uh, if you know, as indicators? If this guy does well, then dot dot dot.
1: Sure, I think that uh, Jawan Hamilton needs to be a key player. He he had a good performance uh, this past week, even in a loss. Uh, freshman running back, but he also to be the other freshman running back, Adrian Killings. He's been had a chance this year to. Uh, Explode, uh, big explosive plays. He's had several plays of over 50 yards this uh, game, but they, they kind of struggled to be able to get him involved. He gets involved in
4: special teams
1: in the past game a little bit, so if they can get him 10 to 15 touches, that's going to be a real good sign uh, because they've been struggling to try to find him a spot, so I'd watch out for uh, those two freshman running backs. Okay, thanks. Tim, you're up.
4: Okay, you know, Coming into this Florida-Florida State game, I understand Florida State has more losses. They also have more quality wins. They also can score a lot more points. But I'd say the key to this game is how often do you hear the names Quincy Wilson and Jalen Tabor? Because if you hear either of those names more than three times, Florida's going to win this game. Those cornerbacks are fantastic, and if they make Florida State throw into the teeth of that defense, that's going to change the game, and that's how the Gators could pull the upset on the road. That would be my pick, and you can follow me at at Sports on Twitter.
0: Thanks a lot. All right. Joseph, you're up.
2: Well, I'm going to be um, kind of watching with one eye um, focused on the um, – issue of is Willie Taggart coaching his last game at South Florida, uh, or at least his last game at Raymond James Stadium. Um, he's starting to show up on a lot of uh, those rumor mills that you hear about, you know, uh, your bigger schools looking for coaches. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be a hot commodity. Uh, if USF wins uh, Saturday against UCF, it'll be the first uh, 10 win season for the Bulls and uh you know he is uh if he's looking to move the time is right so um but i'm going to be watching that and uh if you want to find me on social media you can find me uh at on twitter at j henderson tampa t a m p
0: a hey quick um something i don't want to uh put you on the spot but favorite uh fsu uf memory because I know you've covered, we've we've been to a lot of those games, and I know you've covered them. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it could be on a coach, it could be whatever. Favorite play, favorite thought of that particular. Well, I guess,
2: I guess you know, the, the one that, that just immediately jumped to mind uh, was the choke at Doke where um, Florida had the big lead and then uh, FSU uh, stormed back to uh, to tie the game and, mm. and really came within a couple of plays of winning the game. So um that would be one, and then um, the time uh, where uh, Tim Tebow, I think, was it, it was his junior year, and they and they beat the uh, the Seminoles, and uh, Bobby Bowden referred to him as Bronco Nagurski and wished he would hurry up and uh, jump to the uh, to the pros, <laughs> so couldn't wait for him to graduate. So yeah, those, those two.
0: Well, I back from Newport Richie. Right yeah, Ira, welcome back. Yeah. Um, Thanks. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm batting clean up, Jim. Uh, yep, you're batting clean up. Twitter
3: is uh, at ikaufman 76 um, And I'm offering a viewing tip, Jim, to our Please. thousands of listeners. There you um, go. It, it, it's going to be shown uh, Wednesday evening, and it'll be repeated. And it is must-see TV. Uh, NFL films did its usual first-rate job. Um, it's going to be on NFL Network, 8 o'clock, Wednesday night, and it'll be repeated. But it's a story about the early days of the Buccaneers, 76, 77, when they started off 0-26. And, and they interviewed all the pertinent people that are still alive. I wish John McKay was still with us. You know he would have said a few things. And they have incredible archival footage, a lot of Spurrier uh, stuff. Ron Wolfe, who was the GM in 76, uh, Rich McKay. Uh, everybody is talking about those early days, uh, the Johnny Carson jokes, uh, the time that the team bus guys left Denver, uh, without <laughs> Mr. Without Mr. And Mrs. Culverhouse he was in such a hurry to leave. They left Culverhouse and his wife standing there with their luggage. They missed the team bus. They had to catch a ride with the equipment van. Uh,
4: stories
3: Frankie like that, it, yeah. it, it's a fabulous show. Uh, You don't even have to be uh, an NFL fan. It's just entertaining. Uh, I can just see Joe falling off his chair with with some of these stories. Um, It's great, great TV, and it's a reminder, guys, nobody does it like NFL films. Nobody.
0: No, Ira, you're absolutely right. Um, You know, real quick on that 0-26 team, and I'm sure that you're going to see this clip. There's a great clip of – McKay standing on the sidelines next to his uh, defensive coordinator at the time, it was Abe Gibron, and, he lo- and they're not tackling anybody, and McKay turns to Abe and says, put 53 in, and Abe is looking at his depth chart, and he's looking, and he's looking, and McKay is screaming, we got to get 53 in the game, and Abe is like, who is 53? And John turns to him and says, I don't know, but I've never had a 53 who wasn't better than the guy that was out there linebacker. <laughs>
3: that's so, the kind of stuff that's, that's peppered throughout the
0: ship. Uh, man, it's just th- – this guy was too much fun, but he was also a b- very, very bright coach as well. And Ira, I know you have a piece that's going to be showing up somewhere about this. Uh, go ahead and tell us where to find it.
3: Uh, it's already up on, on Joe Bucks Fan because I've already seen the show. Uh, mm-hmm. He sent me, uh, and I talked to uh, a producer. Uh, mm-hmm. so, and um, so I already have a story on joebucksfan.com. Okay. All uh, right. And that, that, that is called a teaser, Henderson, a teaser. And um, it, it gives people a taste of what's to come. It, it, it Don't miss this show, it, it's, uh, it's hysterical. Don't miss it.
0: No, it, it's. Uh, I'm sure it is, and I, 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 having lived it along with Mr. Henderson, um, it's, it's, it's. It, you can't, you can't even explain it to people. So that's why it's so good that they put it on on video because uh, it was. It's hard to explain how much fun and at the same time agony uh, to cover that team through its 0 and 26 time. But yeah, it was uh,
3: Jim. They, they. I think they ended it with a shot of Hank Stram walking off the field. That. Uh at the Superdome, uh, having fallen to the Bucks, uh their first victim.
0: Hank uh, I'm pretty sure that Hank just kept walking um, <laughs> all the way to his big house in uh, in New Orleans. But anyway, Great. fantastic stuff, Ira. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks, of course, to you for listening. Frank Shala, thank you, from uh, Orlando, talking about UCF. Tim, in uh, the Lehigh Valley area where he's going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. Thanks for all of your insight on the Buccaneers. Buccaneers, the uh, Gators, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, always thanks to the Sunshine Boys, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and we hope that you all enjoy your safe and hopefully fun Thanksgiving weekend with so much to be thankful for and so many games to watch. Until next time, I'm Jim Williams, your host. Thanks for joining us on the Sunshine Boys podcast.